All right, everybody, welcome back to the showcase. I'm your host, Paris Jackson. On today's episode, we got the Timberwolves and the Nets, two teams that are probably a little bit more similar than you realize, but uh, going to be a good one. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the showcase. We are 49 days away from tip-off. We are getting dangerously close. It's about time to continue to focus on NFL football. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, it's about that time where kickoff is literally next week, right? We're a couple of days away from the college season kicking off on Saturday, Labor Day weekend. Hope everybody has a bunch of fun plans. You know, get out in the sun. We got an excessive heat warning here in California. So if you're listening to this before the weekend, just make sure you're covered up, you know, sunscreen, lots of water, all that type of stuff. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's that time of year. Summer's coming to an end. The days are getting shorter and we are getting closer and closer to NBA tip-off. So it's great. On this week's episode, we're going to be focusing on the Minnesota Timberwolves and the Brooklyn Nets, both teams having had the seventh seed going into the play-in game. So we're starting to get to the point of the, you know, the series here where we're shifting to a lot of teams that have had more success lately um and in so get a little bit more important in terms of you know this particular season and the magnitude of the moves they've made more recently is going to come under more scrutiny as we move into next week uh as we do you know the bulls and the nuggets as the six seeds and you know the five weeks after that i mean we're at the point where you know, this is the last of the teams that even had to play a playing game. And really, we're starting to scratch the surface of some teams that are, are really some playoff contention. So um, as we get through these next few weeks, I might be sprinkling in a few, you know, um, uh, division winner bets, season total bets, things of that. Of course, we'll do our big Betapalooza episode on October 12th. We'll just be going over everything in one episode. So... Um, you know, keep that on your radar for that one. But up until then, you know, we're going to continue to just run this series because uh, it's been interesting. It's been interesting to me to go through the different, you know, the eras for each individual team. I hope it's been kind of in, in interesting to you as well to go through these histories and, and kind of be like, oh, yeah, I forgot he played over there. Or, oh, yeah, man, they did that move and it affected this and so on and so forth. And that's how we got here. And, you know, the outlooks on the season has been brief for every team. But you know, it's the off season. You know, I don't like to play the what if game with a lot of these teams, you know, if they do this, if they do that, if they, you know, run these rotations and play this and blah, 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 blah. Because ultimately I'm not in the meetings with the coaches and the players to determine the strategies they use as much as I wish I was, you know, in the Warriors front office. Um, at the same time, you know, or some, a, a front office in general, I'll take anybody, put me in the magic front office. I don't care. Um, but, uh, <laughs> But uh, anyway, without further ado, we'll go ahead and, and start here. Rewind the clock back to that 2011-2012 season. Um, and you know, I just want to reiterate, this is when a lot of changes in the league made sense or started to happen. I mean, you know, originally it felt arbitrary with that lockout being chosen in a nice chunk of time. But you see, like, a lot of the changes in the league that gets us to our present day 
um, kind of start, you know, with LeBron and the decision and then even that same basically the following season or following off season, you know, Chris Paul trade gets vetoed, you know, the Hornets or the Bobcats become the Hornets, making the Hornets become the Pelicans, right? Brooklyn moves or New Jersey Nets move to Brooklyn. Like all of this is happening, um, you know, all within a few years of each other. And really with that lockout, you know, coming to an end before that 2011-2012 season, it's kind of, I'm not going to say it's a catalyst because some of them didn't have anything to do with each other and were in the works prior to, you know, the lockout and the, even the contract that led to the lockout. But nevertheless, I mean, right around that time, we get a lot of major changes leading to where we are today. The The team we're starting with this week, we are going to start with the Minnesota Timberwolves um, as opposed to starting with the Brooklyn Nets just because I think they have a little bit of a shorter history and it, it's a little less juicy despite them making, you know, a pretty pretty big trade this offseason, which we'll – We'll get to at the end here, but if we go back to that 2011-2012 season, the Timberwolves entered the season having just completed the the previous year 17 and 65 for the league's worst record. They also went ahead and replaced Kurt Rambis as head coach with Rick Adelman, who had coached the team for a few years. Kurt Rambis had gone 32 and 132 as a head coach, which you don't have to be a mathematician to know that if you lose 100 more games than you win, um, you know, the team's not going to be very happy for you. Uh, so they they do make a couple of changes to the lineup. They trade away Johnny Flynn and their two draft picks um, to bring in, you know, Nikola Miritich, the draft rights to Chandler Parsons, and Brad Miller. They also select Derek Williams with the second overall pick in the 2011 draft. Um, one other thing that they get in that trade um, is they bring Ricky Rubio in. Actually, they brought him in the previous season, but because of some contract mix-up, they weren't able to um, have, actually have him play. So his rookie season is that 2011-2012 season, and he came out and played really well. Um, he only played in 41 games, but he scored 10.6 points per game. He averaged four boards and eight assists, so nearly averaging a double-double. Um he was playing about 34 minutes a game, so, you know, um, averaging a double-double as a rookie, 21-year-old rookie, 34 minutes a game doesn't sound like, obviously, like, super, superstar-level talent. But for a foreign point guard, I think that is really serviceable um, in the role. But unfortunately, Rubio clashes with Kobe about, you know, 5-10 games before the season ends, and... uh Actually, about 20, he missed 20 games that year. But anyway, so he crashes with Kobe and tears both his ACL and his LCL. Um, and it was really near the end of the season, right? Kevin Love was absolutely dominant in this era of him being with the Timberwolves. He was averaging basically a triple, triple. Um, I was going to say triple-double, but I'm looking at the wrong stat. Excuse me. He's he's averaging 26 points, 13 rebounds, and two assists. The... At per game over 55 games playing 40 minutes shooting over 44 percent and 37 percent from deep like he's getting it all done he's 23 years old at this time like in the absolute prime of his his career um but unfortunately the, the way the rest of the team is constructed they're not able to do very well i mean nikola pekovic luke ridnauer michael beasley jj Barea, like those are your other 
key players that are contributing along with these rookie rookie Rubio, rookie Ricky Rubio and Derek Williams, you know. Um, Derek Williams and Ricky Rubio both made all rookie teams that year, but unfortunately the Timberwolves went 26-40 and 40 to finish 12th in the West and miss the playoffs. Um, entering into the next year, they traded away Brad Miller, who they had acquired the previous season but only played 15 games for them um, for you know just a couple of draft picks just to free up free up some capital and get some additional um, additional cap space they signed Andre Kirilenko and Brandon Roy which were some bigger names um, that could help them hopefully win some games and fill out fill out the roster around Kevin Love um, but unfortunately you know the team doesn't do as well as they hope they'd get only 30 wins that season go 30 and 51 to finish 12th in the west yet again um so even though they had improved by you know about five games with bringing these additions in kevin Love still you know playing really really well it was the first season with the timberwolves having 30 wins since kevin garnett was on the roster which is about six years prior to this right you remember him leaving in the 2007 offseason and then he immediately won with boston uh following that but anyway it's their first season with 30 wins so not even talking about being 500 just getting 30 wins um was more than more than six or seven years ago so obviously the timberwolves were in disarray for a while Entering that 2013-2014 season, the, the team continues to make a few trades, right? At this point, they haven't had their own draft pick um, for a while, right? Last The season prior, they acquired three second-round picks uh, in exchange for Wesley Johnson and uh, uh, trading away their 2013 first-round pick, which actually would have been a good good pick but um you know it, it kind of is what it is they also trade away trey burke to bring in gorgi Diang and shabazz muhammad um and the following season or that season that 2013-2014 season they also bring in kevin martin and trade away Derek williams who you know was one of their leading scorers for lukumba amute kevin love still making all nba second team gorgi Diang is all rookie second team the team does about 10 games better and goes 40 and 42, just under 500, literally one game under 500, to finish 10th in the West and miss the playoffs yet again. Rick Adelman in the 2014 offseason ends up retiring. He was 97 and 133 uh, for a 42% win percentage. He retires from coaching and Flint Saunders replaces him uh, in that same offseason, but unfortunately, he had to turn over the coaching reins to Sam Mitchell as he was diagnosed with Hodgkin's lymphoma uh, and unfortunately died October 25th. Um, so obviously he, you know, he had the the disease and battled for a while. I was unable to coach and unfortunately passed away without ever having coached a game. So that's unfortunate. And Flip Saunders, we, you'll remember the name. You know, he was a longtime coach. He was, um, he, his son, Ryan Saunders ended up, you know, coaching the Timberwolves a few years down the line, <clears throat> but uh, unfortunately, he was unable to to coach the team in any capacity, and unfortunately passed away. Um, which is crazy, right? Like you hire a coach, and then he almost immediately um, 
gets one of the worst diseases you can possibly get uh, as in terms of survival rate and passes away. Um, so bad news for them. For the Timberwolves, however, it, they did make an interesting move in using the 13th overall pick to take Zach Levine, which, you know, by today's standards, he's got a ton of bounce. But they also, in the very same offseason, trade away Kevin Love for Thaddeus Young, Anthony Bennett, and Andrew Wiggins. Andrew Wiggins and Anthony Bennett were both number one overall picks from the Cleveland Cavaliers in the years prior. Andrew Wiggins was the number one overall pick in this draft. So Zach Levine and Andrew Wiggins come into the team at the same time in exchange for Kevin Love, which by today's standards, if you were to try and make that trade again, would just you would just be laughed out of the room because of where the players are today. But looking back, I mean, Kevin Love was coming off back-to-back All-NBA second-team seasons, you know, being a great stats, bad team type of guy. And to their credit, you know, the 2015 Cavs did make the finals and arguably would have won uh, if not for some injuries, issues that plagued them. Um, but whatever the Warriors won, they did, they won the pre- the next season, you know, with Kevin Love still on the team. So, um, you know, bringing in both those number one overall picks is a uncharacteristically good move for the Timberwolves to do. Um, though, you know, at the time, I think the, the flack and the focus was on the Cavaliers trading away Andrew Wiggins. It's like, why would you trade away the number one overall pick for Kevin Love of all people? Um, but for the Timberwolves, I mean, that's a high-quality draft, high-quality trade for them. Um, and unfortunately, you know, when you do have super, super young talent, the team doesn't do, do well. So they do 16-66 and 66 that season. They finish 15th in the West. So even though, you know, we looking back, we're like, hey, Zach Levine and Andrew Wiggins for um, for Kevin Love. And, you know, we end up uh, – they end up just obviously falling flat and going 16 and 66. Um, but their average age for players was, you know, fairly young, and the makeup of the team wasn't that great. Um, you know, you have Andrew Wiggins playing every single game and a lot of minutes, 36 minutes, scoring just under 17 points a game. Zach Levine only missed five games, played 25 minutes, but wasn't quite where he is today, only averaging 10 points a game. Anthony Bennett, who you just traded for, fortunately missed 25 games um, and literally only averaged 16 minutes in those games. He was dealing with some injuries. And then, of course, you have Ricky Rubio coming off of his injury, um, who had only played 22 games before getting injured yet again and missing a fair chunk of time. So you're kind of missing your star point guard. You're dealing with a lot of youngins. Um, So it makes sense why the team didn't do well, Andrew Wiggins does win Rookie of the Year, though, that year. So write that down if you keep in score of the roadies. And the 2015-2016 season, Sam Mitchell is still at the helm here. Team um, drafts Carl Anthony Towns with the number one overall pick. So now that is, if you're keeping score, three number one overall picks that they have on the team between Carl Anthony Towns, Andrew Wiggins, and Anthony Bennett, who's dealing with his um, injuries. And they also check jetty osmond but trade him away uh to bring in tyus jones so actually with this starting five this is one of the youngest starting fives ever deployed between this collection of talent um the pairing of zach levine and andrew wiggins is known as the bounce brothers just because their ability to get up 
um, you know, that 2014-2015 season when they entered, Zach Levine did win the dunk contest, and then obviously Andrew Wiggins is highly athletic as well, so they were so dubbed the Bounce Brothers. So Andrew Wiggins wins Rookie of the Year, Zach Levine wins the Slam Dunk Contest, and the following year with Carl Anthony Towns on the team, he wins Rookie of the Year again, and the team improves by 13 games to finish 29-53 and 53 or 13th in the West. Still, obviously, not very good. Uh, Sam Mitchell, having you know just coached that one season, going 29-53 and 53 or 35% win percentage, is replaced by Tom Thibodeau, who immediately starts to reconstruct the Bulls of yesteryear, um, but not before selecting Chris Dunn with the number five overall pick in the first round of the 2016 draft. The team goes 31-51, and 51, finished 13th in the West, um, and some changes immediately get made, right? So the Bounce Brothers are broken up. Lori Markkinen is brought to the team with the seventh overall pick, but he is quickly traded to the Bulls along with Chris Dunn and Zach Levine to bring in Jimmy Butler, uh, who was a budding star on the Bulls. A And Ricky Rubio is also traded away for a 2018 first-round pick um, from the Jazz, which seems low, but remember Ricky Rubio for a couple of seasons straight had been battling injuries. So with this newly configured team, uh, you know, bringing in Taj Gibson and Derrick Rose and Jeff Teague as well in this offseason. You have Jimmy Butler, Carl Anthony Towns, Andrew Wiggins, um, Jamal Crawford, Bielitsa, Gorky Dang, Derrick Rose, and Tyus Jones. Um, and basically, the scoring goes in that order with Jimmy Butler and Cat being the lead scorers for the team. Both of those players end up making all NBA third team, and it's their first winning season since the 2004-2005 season, um, which is incredible, right? So to go from 2005 to 2018, that's 13 years without a winning season, and they finally have one uh, in Tom Thibodeau's second year of coaching the team with this Timber Bulls, as it was called at the time, because it very much resembled, you know, the, the Timber or the Chicago Bulls team that Thibodeau had coached in Derrick Rose's first run where he got the um, you know, NBA. That year, having that winning season going 47 and 35, they finished eighth in the West and made the playoffs, um, which also ended the longest streak of 13 consecutive years without a playoff appearance that is now currently held by the Kings. I think at 17, I think I want to say the same time the Kings, last time the Kings were in the playoffs were that 2004 2005 season. Um, or it's possibly the next season. That's why, you know, the Timberwolves had the longest streak. So, 16 years, 15 years without making the playoffs for the Kings. Um, come on, Sacramento, step it up. Um, entering the 2018-2019 season, Jimmy Butler is upset with the team and does request a trade. So obviously trouble in paradise. Um, everybody remembers the headlines from back then, Jimmy Butler just being an absolute menace in practice. And, um, you know, he's starting to push his way out of the team. Uh, before that, though, Josh Kogi is selected with the 20th overall pick in the first round, and I believe he's still on the team. Um, and later that season, Jimmy Butler and a second-round pick is traded to the Philadelphia 76ers in exchange for basically Robert Covington, Dario Saric, and some cash, which, honestly, the Timberwolves definitely got the short end of the stick there. Um, and Sixers made out like a bandit, but because Jimmy Butler had become, you know, such a quote-unquote cancer to the locker place, um, 
locker room, I mean, that, that the Timberwolves just needed to move off of him quickly. Tom Thibodeau is also let go midseason in January following, you know, his inability to basically make the team gel, uh, which I guess isn't his fault. Um, and it's kind of strange. You have the best season of all time, and then you come back and you're fired midseason. But honestly, they, they didn't have a great record midseason, that 2018-2019 season. Tom Thibodeau was 97-107 and 107 overall, 47% winning percentage, which is the highest for a coach during this stretch. Um and yet, here we are, right? <laughs> here we are, and he is let go, replaced by Ryan Saunders as the interim coach. The team goes 36-46 and 46 after a rocky start to finish 11th in the West and go back to their you know previously held um, status of missing the playoffs. And the team starts to reconfigure. They trade Jeff Teague and Trevion Graham to bring in Alan Crabb. They also trade away Dario Saric and Cam Johnson, who they just recently drafted, to bring in Jarrett Culver, who's a rookie. Um, they trade Robert Covington, who they also acquired in that same Jimmy Butler trade, with Jordan Bell and some other young players to bring in Malik Beasley, Juancho Hernan Gomez, Jared Vanderbilt, Evan Turner, and a 2020 first-round pick. Um and then, of course, the trade to end all trades, they trade away their two first-round picks and Andrew Wiggins to bring in D'Angelo Russell, Amari Spellman, and Jacob Evans, which those picks ended up becoming, you know, Jonathan Kaminga and uh, James Wiseman for the Warriors. So two really, really good picks come out of this because, you know, the Timberwolves still struggled despite all this retooling and bringing in all these new players. They went... 19 and 45 under Ryan Saunders first full season as head coach 14th in the West. They didn't even get invited to the bubble because uh, their record was so bad um, and enter the 2020, 2021 season with a long rest, right? They haven't played between March and November. Basically Ryan Saunders had plenty of team time to, um, to gel with the team, but uh, he's actually let go in this off season. They go 43 and 94 under his, tenure so only a 31 percent win percentage so not very great and he's replaced by chris finch who is the current head coach of the team um and has a 50 percent win percentage he's gone 62 and 61 since taking over the helm these last two seasons they also get anthony edwards with a number one overall pick in the 2020 draft who's just been absolutely delightful to watch um and <laughs> by a stroke of luck end up trading you know, the rest of their picks that they had made in the the first round and second round to bring back Ricky Rubio, Leandro Balmero, and Jaden McDaniels, mainly trying to bring Ricky Rubio to shore up that, that guard spot behind D'Lo. Uh, during this 2021 season, Glenn Taylor sells the team to Mark Lohr and Alex Rodriguez. Basically, he sets up the deal so they purchase 20% of the team that year as well as the next year, and then they'll purchase an additional 40% in 2023 to obtain a majority stake in the team. They'll have a total of 80% between them two and their group. And I believe Glenn Taylor will still retain 20% of uh, of the team uh, following that final installment in 2023. The team goes 23 and 49. They finished 13th in the West. Not very great. Missed the playoffs again. 
and enter the 2021-22 season by making some changes, right? They trade away Ricky Rubio to bring in Torian Prince to add some three-point shooting, also get a second-round draft pick out of it, and trade Jarrett Culver and Juancho Hernan Gomez to the Grizzlies to bring in Pat Bev, which is just, um, if you guys remember, he was, I don't even think Pat Bev played a game for the Grizzlies during that offseason. He landed there as part of another trade, um, and, uh, you know, he's brought into the Timberwolves and seems to find a home on, on the Timberwolves, um, you know, pretty well. I mean, last week you heard me uh, kind of bash the Lakers for bringing Patrick Beverly onto the team, but hey, uh, say la vie, right? So they finally are able to string together the best season that they've arguably had in almost 20 years, right? They go 46 and 36. It's actually their second highest win total since uh, uh, the highest being when they made the conference finals in, in 2004 behind Kevin Garnett's efforts. And they beat the Clippers in the in the play-in game to make the playoffs and had a hell of a series against the Grizzlies in the first round. Um, that was highly entertaining, just watching Anthony Edwards and John Morant. I think we're lucky we got two explosive, dynamic, superstar personality-type players that are in the same conference that are about the same age that we can watch for the next, you know, arguably five, ten years between Anthony Edwards and John Morant. And that first round series was a taste of that. So, um, unfortunately, they lose in six um, behind just an awful, awful collapse in that first uh, first round of last year's playoffs. And that brings us to this season, right? They had the number 19th overall pick. Um, they also traded to get some additional players. And then the big, big trade was trading Malik Beasley, Patrick Beverly, Leandro Balmero, J Jared Vanderbilt, and Walker Kelser, along with one, two, three, four, five first-round picks for Rudy Gobert. Um, I think what they gave up in all of this, uh, obviously the picks aren't that great, but if you think the team is going to be well, then you're giving up picks, you know, like 19, 20, 25, you know, 27, you know, up to, you know, the 30th pick in the draft. If you're thinking that Rudy Gobert is the team to push you over the hump, raise that win total and, you know, decrease the likelihood that you land in the lottery, right? So I'm never, you know, the amount of draft picks kind of puts you in a spot where, you know, if you get something really, really catastrophic, like Anthony Edwards, double ACL, Achilles injury, and he can't play for a few years, or Cat Williams goes off the deep end and, you know, crashes his car and just doesn't play ball anymore, um, you could be in a position that, you know, you don't have a draft pick for six years in the first round, right? 2023 gone, 2025 gone, 26, you got a pick swap, which Utah will probably keep their pick because I imagine they'll still be bad in a few years. 2027 and 2029, like every other year, you don't have your first overall draft pick, and it goes to Utah. So you're not even in the top 30 at all, um, except for 2026 when you have a swap, so you get the worst of the two. Um, so hopefully Chris Finch uh, remains a winning coach for this team. You know, Rudy Gobert. Um, steps up and, and fills the holes that they're losing, uh, that they're need filled by him. Um, and the rest of the team does well. You know, if Anthony Edwards takes another leap, if D'Lo continues to work on his game and contribute well, if Cat 
Cat's only 26. I feel like he's been in the league forever. And he's he's 26. Delo's 26. Anthony Edwards is 21. Like, your star power is fairly young. Rudy Gobert is, like, the oldest on the team, and he's 30. Like, you have a, a decently aged team with some okay pieces. Like, you'd like to see them upgrade, you know, like Austin Rivers, Nas Reed, Jada McDaniels. But they got Kyle Anderson as well. In the in the deal that brought in Pat Bev or signed him in free agency, signed him in pre free agency. But nevertheless, you know, got Kyle Anderson, who's a key piece for the Grizzlies, and opened up the offense for some of the other players. So you know, it's exciting. It's exciting time for the Timberwolves and Timberwolves fans, right? Like if this team can gel together, I still wouldn't put them in a top tier level team. I don't. I don't. I just don't think that the twin towers approach of two big men only one of which really has like offensive capabilities um will get this team where they need to be i feel like they're like a piece away um which is probably the highest ranking i've given any team that we've covered so far except for maybe the clippers um especially in the west like these this team i would rank higher than almost anybody else that we've covered so far and do so confidently. Um, so, you know, I think they're very much like the Pelicans have got a, a good thing going here. They're not in a full, full rebuild like the Blazers, Thunders, Rockets, or Spurs are. Um, so, you know, watch out for the Timberwolves this year is what I'm saying, but let's see how, how the team plays together. Because if, if they don't end up pulling it together, their draft capital over the next few years is honestly a nightmare uh, where they only own their 2024 and 2028 picks and every, pretty much every other pick has to go somewhere um, at some point. So it doesn't look very good if they can't pull it together. But a lot of faith in Chris Finch, a lot of faith in Anthony Edwards, and we'll see how it goes. Let's take a quick break and we'll come back and do Brooklyn. Okay, so in the top of the episode, I was talking about how a lot of those changes happened around, you know, that 20, let's call it like 2009 to 2014 era, right, where you had the Hornets become the Pelicans, you had the Bobcats become the Hornets, you had the, um, you know, Chris Paul rejection, you had the Donald Sterling events going on, you had... Um, Hurricane Sandy, you had you had all this stuff. You had the decision. LeBron goes to Miami, all that stuff. Dirk wins a chip. Um, all all of that happens in the in the same five years. And another one of those changes that had happened was the New Jersey Nets um, played their last games in the Prudential Center in Newark and moved to Brooklyn. And I think you know that move feels fairly sudden because. Obviously, the team pretty much announced that it's colors and everything like that. And that's when it, I think, got to the general public. And, of course, Jay-Z was a minor, minority stakeholder. Um, and it felt like the following year, that 2012-2013 season, it's like, whoa, we're Brooklyn, Brooklyn style, baby, black and white jerseys. And we're Brooklyn and center. And it felt really, really fast. I, I want to deep dive just a little bit how long this took to happen so in 1999 <laughs> the yankee nets um purchased 
the uh, the owners of the Yankees purchased the Nets and formed the Yankee Nets, which is the holding company that held the Yankees, the Nets, and and later the New Jersey Devils. And basically, they were trying to secure a deal with Newark to construct a new arena in the city. But Newark basically had some tensions, um, you know, between them and the ownership group and the ownership group itself had some infighting going on. Uh, so the deal was dead. Um, and the organization that held the Yankees, Nets and Devils decided to split up the group by putting the New Jersey Nets up for sale. So after a short bidding process, the group um, secured a deal in 2004 with real estate developer Bruce Ratner, uh, who agreed to buy the team for $300 million, um, and with the intent of moving it to Brooklyn, right? So, And, of course, Jay-Z owned a minority stake in the Nets from 2003 all the way up to and through 2013. Um, he was a leader in the marketing team and helped encourage their move from New Jersey to the Barclays Center in Brooklyn, uh, in which he also held the stake. So this was like obviously, and people talk about Jay Z, and Jay Z obviously just had a killer verse on on the DJ Khaled album that's getting a lot of buzz. He was talking about capital, cap rates, cap table, that type of stuff, and his wordplay um, is why many people have called him, you know, the goat. Not only from his body of work, but his business acumen, and you know, Jay Z has a lot of respect. I think if you know you're building a table of five dinner guests, Jay-Z's should likely be on that list of dinner dinner guests uh, that you invite just because, man, he's been he's been instrumental in uh, just building up the sounds of others, um, you know, Rihanna, Kanye, um, so on and so forth, the, the rock, everything that branches off Jay-Z, right? His wife, Beyonce, right? The talent acquisition there. Uh, just kidding. Um but anyway, so Jay-Z owned a minority stake in both the Barclays Center and the Nets and was able to bring those two together um, and bring a team to Brooklyn, where he's from. That's awesome, right? Um, so anyway, so um, he he and Bruce Ratner paid $300 million for the Brooklyn Nets team, um, and uh, Jay-Z owned a stake up until to and through 2013, which is when he started his Rock Nation sports agency, so he had to sell his shares of the team to avoid a conflict of interest. Um, and so, anyway, so that happened, and so obviously the move was starting to be planned in 2004 uh, by this real estate developer and my assumption is that when the 2008 financial crisis happened it put bruce ratner in a position where he was unable to retain the rights um to his stake because in 2009 mikhail prokhorov uh which is a hard russian name to say but he's russia's third richest man um became the majority owner of the nets so he sent an offer to the team owners requesting that the controlling shares of the basketball club be sold to his company for a symbolic price. In return, Prokhorov funded a loan of $700 million for the construction of Barclays Center and attracted additional funds from Western banks, right? So that ties into the theory of like Bruce Ratner, real estate, housing crisis, runs out of money, and now this Russian, basically, oligarch comes in and says, I have deals for you. 
I have money, 700 million for your center. Um, and they build the center. Um, so it it's reported that Prokhorov initiated the deal. Um, but I think without the financial crisis and all that, the deal doesn't go through. So that's just my personal theory based on the facts as reported by the sources on the internet. Um, but anyway, so uh, Prokhorov becomes majority owner of, of the team from 2009 all the way until 2017, where he agrees to sell a 49% stake to Joseph Tsai, who is the current majority owner, um, after exercising an option in 2019 to become so. So Joe Tsai, Joseph Tsai, current owner, um, and basically spent a billion dollars on the team. So for those of you keeping track, right, $300 million for the initial pur- purchase and the move from New Jersey to Brooklyn that was initiated in 2004 700 million six years later as a loan for the construction of the center now you have a billion (laughs) 10 years after that for uh Joseph Tsai to become the majority owner um which is insane so anyway that's that's kind of the path that it took and that's why I said before you know like LeBron James wasn't necessarily the catalyst that made all of these things happen but it's kind of like that anchor event, if you're looking at the timeline, that um, a lot of this other history in the league um, kind of made some quick changes after that. But obviously this change had been building for almost 10 years and had no connection to LeBron and the decision at all. But that era, nonetheless, is when a lot of things got done. Right. Um, so anyway, I hope you guys enjoyed that that quick history and breakdown of, of the Brooklyn Nets ownership and their moving and everything. Now let's focus on the basketball. Right. 2011, 2012 season was the last season in Jersey before they moved to Brooklyn. Um, and the Nets were just absolutely plagued with injuries. They had basically 248 games missed due to injuries amongst all their players. They had six starters have season ending injuries. Um which is just crazy. And basically, Chris Humphreys, Anthony Morrow, Sheldon Williams, Marshawn Brooks, Darren Williams. Those are like your your players that were most available. Um, and they weren't that great. 13 points a game, 12 points a game, 12 points a game. Deron Williams, 21 points a game at age 27 was their leading scorer. They also had Brooke Lopez, who they thought would be a big piece. He scored 19 points a game, but he only played five games and was out. So the team goes 22 and 44 to finish 12th in the West. Uh, and that's when they become the Brooklyn Nets that, that year. All new everything is what they, they labeled new players, new coach, new everything. Um, as Avery Johnson, who was coach, well, uh, was fired in mid-December, right when the season started, replaced by P.J. Carlissimo, who was named the interim coach. They also traded away Jordan Farmar, Anthony Morrow, Johan Petro, Deshaun Stevenson, and Jordan Williams to bring in star Joe Johnson. Um, and the team goes 49-33, and 33, fourth in the East, and one of the better records that they had in a few years, and had an epic battle with the Chicago Bulls before getting knocked out in seven in the first round entering the 2013 2014 season pj carlissimo is let go of his head coaching duties and jason kidd replaces him um which is interesting because jason kidd had literally retired from playing seven days prior to being 
named head coach, which if you're looking at that, you think, hmm, what kind of due process was that, assuming he did retire before he, uh, you know, officially took head coach. But again, it's the offseason, meetings can be held, blah, 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 blah. Um, you know, obviously he had no intention of returning to the Mavericks. They also take Mason Plumley with the 22nd overall pick in the first round and make a blockbuster trade uh, by trading away basically the rest of the team, Gerald Wallace, Chris Humphreys, Marshawn Brooks, Keith Boggins, and four first-round picks, one of which is a swip, uh, pick swap to bring in Kevin Garnett, Paul Pierce, Jason Terry, and DJ Wright. Now, the important thing to note about this, two things. One is the marketing campaign, which I briefly referenced before. All new everything, right? New head coach, new players, new city, new logo, new jerseys, all that stuff, right? New everything, all new everything. That was the slogan that they pushed um, to everyone. The also signed Andre Kirilenko and Sean Livingston, and and that's their team, right? The team goes 44 and 38. They finish sixth in the East, and are knocked out in the second round in a gentleman sweep by the Heat after beating the Raptors in seven, which is the first Game 7 win by a rookie head coach. I say all that to say that this is during the reign of the Russian oligarch, and he really wanted to win immediately, right? He wanted his new toy to perform well immediately, and that's why they made the trade for Paul Pierce, Kevin Garnett, and Jason Terry despite the three of them really being at the tail, tail, tail end of their prime. They wanted to win right now, and they traded away, um, you know, multiple, multiple first-round picks. Now, if we compare that to the Rudy Gobert trade, at least they got three players for their four first overall picks. Um, but, the, but the picks, like, if you fast-forward to, you know, the 2018 draft where that pick was finalized, you have um, basically those picks would have been Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum, and Colin Sexton. Imagine if you had them on the team right now. Obviously, a lot of things would be different, but you know, trading away all those picks to bring in Kevin Garnett, Paul Pierce, and Jason Terry to win right now, which they didn't even do because they got knocked out in the second round. Um, history says it's foolish. Looking back, it's foolish. At the time, a lot of people thought it was foolish, but hey, the team went 44 and 38 and made to the second round of the playoffs. In that offseason, 2014-2015 offseason, Jason Kidd is traded to Milwaukee for two second-round draft picks. So last week or a week before when we were talking about the Clippers, I was like, I didn't even know you can trade a head coach. Happened again, 2014 offseason, Jason Kidd's traded to Milwaukee to head them up. He had a 54% win percentage uh, in the one year that he was head coach. And uh, Lion Lionel Holland's is installed as the head coach after that. They do not have any draft picks because of all the trades that they had made in the previous two seasons, moving everything around. Uh, but they do bring in Xavier Thomas, Markel Brown, and Corey Jefferson by um, basically paying the other <laughs> other teams for them. They trade them for cash. Um, they also bring in Jarrett Jack and Sergey Carissi by trading away Marcus Thornton um, and two of the second round picks that they had gotten in previous seasons. Kevin Garnett is set to retire, so he's traded away for Thad Young uh, in at the trade deadline. The team goes 38 and 44 without him um, behind some efforts of Paul Pierce and everybody else. Team goes eighth 
in the East, and they lose in the first round to the Atlanta Hawks in six. Following that season is when things really begin to come up apart. They waved around Williams at the beginning of the season. They select Pat Connaughton and Chris McCullough in the draft, but immediately trade Pat Connaughton and Mason Plumlee to bring in Steve Blake and Rondé Hollis-Jefferson. And before Steve Blake could even suit up for the Nets, they trade him away to the Pistons, bring in Quincy Miller. So it's really starting to form a new team here. Um, and Joe Johnson is waived in February to pursue a different team to be well. Um, they go 21-61 and 61 to finish 14th in the East, one of the worst records that they've had since moving to Brooklyn and the worst record that they've had since that 2011-2012 season, which was their last in New Jersey. That's actually a worse record than that. So Lion Hollins is obviously out after going 48-71 and 71 as a – uh, head coach, 40% win percentage. Billy King is also out as GM at this point, replaced by Tony Brown and Sean Marks. Tony Brown only coached 35 games before being replaced by Kenny Atkinson. And Kenny Atkinson and Sean Marks kind of ran the team from 2016 on uh, up till very close to today. Not exactly. Um, 2016-2017 season, they bring in Jeremy Lin and trade away Thad Young to bring in Karis LeVert. Thad Young was kind of like a throwaway player that they just got for Kevin Garnett to send him to retire in Minnesota. So getting Karis LeVert ultimately for retiring Kevin Garnett ends up being a good trade, good deal. Uh, obviously signed Jeremy Lin. He was unfortunately dealt some injury issues, so they also signed Spencer Dinwiddie, who was just a free agent in December. Uh, which ends up being a good pickup in my mind. And they're starting to build that team that had a ton of success in that 2018-2019 season. But we got a, a one more year before they get there, right? So this 2016-17 season, the Nets go 20-62 and 62 to finish worst in the East at 15th. 2017-2018 season, Brooke Lopez, after battling in injury for so, so long, as well as the draft rights to Kyle Kuzma, are traded for Timothy Mozgov and D'Angelo Russell. Uh, Jared Allen is also selected with the 22nd overall pick in the first round. And um, Damari Carroll is traded away or tra for Justin Hamilton by the Raptors. Allen Crabb is also brought in in exchange for Andrew Nicholson. And um, Tyler Zeller ends up being traded for Dante Cunningham. So a lot of players move this season. But really the important ones are Brooke Lopez and Kyle Kuzma being sent to the Lakers in exchange for D'Angelo Russell, Timothy Mozgov, and then drafting Jarrett Allen, uh, who quickly becomes a good player. So I think the Nets have some skill at drafting bigs uh, late, right? Miles Plumlee was serviceable. Jarrett Allen was a deep, decent player. Brooke Lopez was a decent player. Um you know, all these all these bigs were really good. Where they really struggled is the guard and, and more specifically I would say like the power forward slash small forward position. Forwards in general haven't been their forte. So keep that in mind as we as we continue to go with this. The team does improve though that 2017-2018 season and they go twenty eight and fifty four to finish twelfth in the East, which brings us to the twenty eighteen twenty nineteen season, which was arguably one of their best. Um they trade Timothy Mozgov and Hamadou Diallo, who they just drafted, away for Dwight Howard, but waive him immediately to move some cap space 
for those of you that remember the end of 2019 that 2019 offseason was going to have a, a ton of free agents so they wanted to be prepared for that they also trade away jeremy lynn to build up a little bit of draft equity and bring in kenneth Fareed for isaiah whitehead they also bring in jared dudley for darrell arthur and the team has the best season that they've had in a long time. They go 42-40 and 40 to finish 6th in the East, better than expected. Uh, D'Angelo Russell is their leading scorer at 21.1 points a game. You have Joe Harris putting in 14 points a game. Spencer Dinwiddie, 17 points a game. Karis LeVert, 14 points a game. Jared Allen grabbing essentially a double-double every night, 10 points, 8.5 rebounds. Uh, but unfortunately, their gentlemen swept by the 76ers in the first round. So that was the best season that the Nets have had in a while, especially without, you know, some of that old veteran talent that they had made all those trades for. Um, and the team looked really well uh, heading into that 2019 offseason with all the free agency. You know, the Nets were in a position to do really well. But unfortunately, um, they selected, you know, Nick Claxton, Nick Kale, Alexander Walker, and Mufundu Kavangili in that 2019 draft with their with their picks. I guess not unfortunately, but this this is how it played out for the Nets is what I should say. Unfortunately, they, tr- they traded away Mufundo Kavangili to bring in Jalen Hands in a 2020 first-round pick, right? Like they see the value in first-round picks. Um, they also trade Alan Crabb and Nikhil Alexander-Walker away for Torian Prince in a second-round pick. And... Um, they signed Kyrie Irving. They also signed DeAndre Jordan. And the very next day, Kevin Durant completes a sign-in trade to be traded to the Brooklyn Nets for D'Angelo Russell, Shabazz Napier, and Trevion Graham, the latter two of which are immediately waived and never suit up for the Warriors. So they get Kyrie. They get Kevin Durant. They get Nicholas Claxton. They get Torian Prince to add to Spencer Dinwiddie and Joe Harris and Karis LeVert and Jared Allen. Like, this team looks pretty good. Fortunately, obviously, Kevin Durant misses the entire season uh, due to the injuries he sustained in the playoff runs for the Warriors. Kyrie Irvin misses a ton of games as well and isn't able to play up to his ability. Spencer Dinwiddie gets injured later in the season. So the team underperforms. They go 35-47, and 47, finish 7th. In the East. During this season, Kenny Atkinson is also let go. He's replaced by Jacques Vaughn, um, who coaches the team very well. They do 5-3 and three in the seeding games. Um, but unfortunately, they get swept by the Raptors in the first round. And you can't really hold that against them. They were playing without Kyrie or KD or Spencer Dinwiddie, right? So they basically had no guards and were missing their key piece um, that they had just acquired the previous offseason. Um so the team underperforms. Despite going 5-3 and three in the bubble, they get swept by the Raptors and uh, are out of the playoffs. Which brings us to the 2020-2021 season where Steve Nash is installed as the head coach. I have Kenny Atkinson's record here, 118 and 190, or a 38% win percentage. But when you look at his team and what had happened the previous two seasons, um, you know, basically being reconstructed in the end of 2018 and then having the injuries in 2019-2020. Can't really hold it against him. A lot of people think he was a good coach. Warriors even picked him back up. 
but unfortunately, you know, he is let go. Jacques Vaughn takes over as interim, and then Jacques Vaughn isn't hired, and Steve Nash is hired, uh, which creates its own set of issues. Um, they draft Sadiq Bey, uh, but trade him away along with Jalen Hands and Jaden Scrub to bring in Bruce Brown Jr., Landry Shamit onto the team. And uh, within a about a month of the 2020 season starting, James Harden pushes his way out of Houston, and the Nets take the bait and trade away Jared Allen, Karis LeVert, Torian Prince, a 2021 swap, 2022 first-round pick, 2023 swap, 2024 first-round pick, 2025 swap, 2026 first-round pick, 2027 swap. All first-rounders, three straight-up first-rounds, four sp- four pick swaps, Jared Allen, Karis LeVert, Torian Prince to acquire James Harden which is a ton, right? So you basically give up your draft capital for seven seasons. You give away Jared Allen, who's a young budding star. You give away Karis LeVert, who has still, to this point, not necessarily cemented his starter role or even a position on the team. You trade away some three-point shooting that you had in Torian Prince, who's found a good role on the Timberwolves. Um, And you end up in a situation where you have James Harden, Kyrie Irving, and Kevin Durant on the same team. Um, the team goes 48 and 24. This is obviously the COVID shortened season where you have Kyrie missing a ton of time. Kevin Durant still coming back from injury. James Harden entered the season out of shape and was trying to play back into shape after basically just end gaffing on the Rockets for his, to finish his tenure. Um, but nevertheless, they finished second in the East, right? The gentlemen sweep the Celtics uh, and come a toe away from beating the Bucks in the second round, losing to them in seven. And that's without, you know, all three of their stars all playing major minutes, right? Um, and the Bucks went on to win the championship. So, you know, a lot of people say they were a toe away from becoming champions. But, you know, as I heard recently, they were a toe away from becoming champions. They weren't champions. Sorry. Um, in my mind, they should have ran it back. But instead... They immediately start making changes. They trade Landry Shamit away for Jevion Carter. Um, they trade Spencer Dinwiddie basically away for two second-round picks, which is just a waste. Trade DeAndre Jordan away for Jaleel Okafor, which is a good move, <laughs> if you ask me. Um, and at the trade deadline of last season, they trade away James Harden and Paul Millsap to bring in Seth Curry, Andre Drummond, Ben Simmons, a 2023 pick, a 2027 pick, and some cash. So they were able to recoup two of the picks, two of the basically three picks that they had given away um, and essentially turned Jared Allen, Karis LeVert, and Torian Prince into Seth Curry, Andre Drummond, and Ben Simmons. So is Seth Curry better than Karis LeVert? I would argue yes. Is Jared Allen better than Andre German? I would also argue yes. And then is Ben Simmons and Torian Prince, who would you rather have? Would you rather have Torian Prince, who isn't necessarily a SAR, isn't Rookie of the Year, can shoot threes and actually plays? Or would you have Ben Simmons, who is a potential star rookie of the year can't shoot threes and doesn't play so who would you rather have is uh is the question of the trade here because basically that's what the nets ended up doing right jared allen karis levert torian prince 
Oh, and a pick, and a first-round pick for Seth Curry, Andre Drummond, Ben Simmons. Who says no to that trade, right? I think the side with, with that's receiving Seth Curry, Andre Drummond, Ben Simmons says no because they're not getting equal return back as long as Ben Simmons isn't playing. I don't want to talk about Ben Simmons. I just have to because, obviously, now he is currently on the Nets, and we're awaiting to see if he ever plays basketball again. Um but taking him out of the trade, you turn Jared Allen, Karis LeVert, Torian Prince, and a pick into Seth Curry and Andre Drummond. And you and I both know that that is one hell of a lopsided trade. Um, and unfortunately, the Nets had to do it. They go 44-38 and 38 last year to finish 7th in the East. To finish 7th in the East. 7th in the East. They beat the Cavs in the play-in game but are swept by the Celtics in the first round. Remember, they did have some injuries with Seth Curry and Joe Harris missing some time. And with Kyrie in and out of the lineup and only playing what was it, only playing road games or something like that. Um, yeah, he wasn't playing home games until basically the playoff. The team didn't have enough time to gel, yada, yada, yada. So that brings us to this season. Currently, Steve Nash is 92-62 and 62 as a head coach, 59.7% win percentage, which is very high. Uh, it's kind of where you want your head coach to be for sure. They've already brought in Royce O'Neal and TJ Warren. They've re-signed Patty Mills. Um, so looking at the roster, you have Kevin Durant signed through 2026. He's on a nice long deal. You have Ben Simmons signed through 2025, which could be a good or bad thing, depending on if he actually plays Joe Harris for two years, Royce O'Neal for two years, Nick Claxton for two years, Patty Mills for two years, Edmund Summer for two years, Cam Thomas and Dayron Sharp are on a one year deal with a two year team option after that and you have Seth Curry for a year at eight and a half mil now I failed to mention Kyrie Irvin still being on the team at 30 years old making 37 mil this year he's up for an extension he's obviously in his player option uh, but uh, the word around the water cooler is Kyrie is at it again with some demands as as of three weeks ago he had some peculiar ones like wanting to not play in back-to-back games, and he wanted to play at a maximum 60 games without being, um, or I guess he would only be required to play 60 games total, which you're missing a quarter of the season and you're not playing any back-to-backs. The season has been lengthened, so there's less back-to-backs in general, so you're, you know, you're obviously not going to have 22 back-to-backs in any, of, any case throughout the course of the season. Um but to just refuse to play in back-to-backs and then only be required for 60, it's like, you know, what type of medical issue do you have to justify missing that many games? Like, you know, I, I can, immediately Kawhi Leonard comes to mind. Like, Kawhi Leonard has a degenerative muscle disease where he just doesn't bounce back like your average athlete or even your average person thus requiring additional rest, thus requiring load management, right? That makes sense to me. Kyrie Irving, as far as I can tell, is about as fit and healthy as any other athlete. He is very outspoken. He's supposedly very nice. But my question is, why is he only being required to play 60 games? And it's 60 games to fulfill his contract and not not be paid any less, right? That's what he wants. Um, just why I would understand 68, 70, right? 
72, you miss 10 games. Like, hell, I get 10 days of PTO a year. You know, the average person gets 10 days of PTO a year, not counting sick days. Like, I understand just wanting to take a, a game off here and there. But over a quarter of them? Like, that's a lot of games, man. Suit up, bro. Like, this ain't the cause to champion right now. The cause to champion is being a champion, bro. Go be a champion. Go play with Kevin Durant. Go get Ben Simmons back on the court. Bringing in Royce O'Neal and and TJ Warren to provide some additional scoring and defense. You know, like Royce can shoot the three and TJ Warren is, can get you like 18 a bucket if he's ever really on the court. Patty Mills can shoot threes, right? Seth Curry can shoot threes. Like, but Kyrie, man, they need you. They need you all the games they can get. They don't want to play a play-in. Kevin Durant does not want to play a play-in game. And if you want to take some days off, I understand. But if you're going to do that, then you will be playing a play-in game. And nobody's going to be happy. Nobody is happy. Kevin Durant's not happy with management. Management is not happy with his players not happy. Kyrie's not happy because he has to play too many games. Ben Simmons isn't happy because he has to play. <laughs> it's ridiculous. But anyway, nevertheless, they got to make it work because their draft pack capital is awful. They got no draft picks. They got these two players signed for a really long time in Kevin Durant and Ben Simmons and potentially Kyrie Irving getting a deal too. Like, yo, <laughs> Nets, get it together, man. This should have been a highly entertaining trio of Kevin Durant, Kyrie, and James Harden that could have lasted a really, really long time. But they... They botched it. They botched it. They traded James Harden away for three nickels and a penny. You know, even if, if you just look at the, the totality of the two trades that involve James Harden, it's just carnage for the Nets and the hopes of Brooklyn. If you ever want to be the number one team in New York, you got to get your shit together. You have the players to do so. Like, if I go on in 2K and simulate the team and get rid of all the egos and get rid of everything and everybody plays, that's a championship team. 2K23, I guarantee it. Simulate it. Your Nets will be in the finals. If all everybody plays how they're supposed to play, chemistry is on fleek like an Android whiz. Anyway, so that's my hope for the Nets. One more episode before NFL football season begins. Next week, we got the Bulls. We got the Nuggets. Those should be some fun teams to go through as well. Thank you, as always, for listening. Make sure you like, subscribe, share at PJ Showcase on Instagram and Twitter. The picks are coming back soon. I'm trying to get the days dialed in, I imagine. We're 45, 49 days away from tip, so probably when we get to the 35-day mark, I'll probably start releasing, so in about two weeks' time. Uh, so be on the lookout for those. Be ready. Stay ready so you don't have to get ready, that type of stuff. And uh, hope everybody enjoys Labor Day weekend. Stay safe. And until the next time, bye-bye.